Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the cast, everybody. It has been a hell of a two weeks for us. Um, so, this is tough to talk about, but our dog died, our lady. This was Henry's primarily dog, um, but also my dog. Spent almost every day of her life with her. And um, it was a wild experience. I'll start with just some of the blocking and tackling, not that this whole thing has to be about it, but she got sick very quickly Um and it was probably within seven to ten days of, like, first symptom to dead. Um, and she was only five, which is really sad. So, yeah, it's an emotional thing, but I want to try to um, not just talk about me and Henry and our experience, but things that are useful to you guys from it. So the first thing that, my, that struck me that was really a challenge and was so confusing at the beginning of it was... Whenever something like this happens, I saw everyone related to it immediately attack themselves and immediately say how it was their fault. And then I saw in a reaction to that, everyone blame other people <laughs> at some point, you know, whether it's the doctor or the this or the that, but really like the underlying feeling was, this is my fault. This is all on me. Um, and there were moments of defensive like other people. But one thing that as I've sifted through it, I think is true um, is it's healthcare is really cha- a challenging experience for the layman because what we experienced, I think, pretty clearly in this one was that I had initial resistance personally to taking her to a doctor or a vet, not because I don't love her, not because I am lazy, but because my experience of doctors and vets is uh, checkered. And I've had a lot of experiences where they upsell you, do not care, are not attentive, etc. 
interesting whatever thing was yeah i initially felt this self-attack for not oh man we should have taken her sooner a true thing that did happen is she did go in and uh we all in retrospect kind of felt and you knew that like probably the first two vets that we saw did not love her care about her put their heart into it and they trying to i'm trying to not be aggressive in this when i say that they deeply did not care um, they went through a simple checklist, were non-receptive to like you especially saying that's not the problem. The problem is this. This problem is more serious than what you are suggesting and it is not located in the blood work. It is an ear thing that is seems to be affecting her neurologically. Um, and that's a real challenge. Um, and what was a deep comfort and what was so beautiful, and I know a tremendous relief to you and to me, which was when it was too late, the last doctor vet that we did go to was so loving and kind. And it was such a relief and a stark difference to feel not just a difference in competency, which may have been there as well, but a difference in concern, care, and love. And I know that what you wanted and what I wanted from the jump was for her to be loved and in competent hands, in competent hands, not incompetent. And um, not knowing where and how to go and being frustrated by people in coats with businesses that were really... <laughs> I don't know how smart they are as doctors. I feel extremely confident in saying that they didn't care. And I know that that's been my experience of some of my healthcare in my life. And I think it's tragic. I would, I, would, I can speak up yeah. lightly here. Yeah. I would say they were incapable of caring. Mm -hmm. Because if they did, it'd be gut-wrenching every day to go in there. Yeah. And truly care about mm -hmm. every dog mm -hmm. and every cat with its concerned owner. And what I saw was like, I cannot. There has to be a wall here. Um, because if you loved my dog and cared closer, more, um, I found it to be clear that she was in duress and needed serious help. Mm -hmm. And what I was offered was uh, we're not sure. Here's some antibiotics. A pamphlet. A pamphlet. And I can do heart blood work upsells. Yeah. And they were usually offered to me by the technician between the doctor and the doctor. Mm -hmm. This, um, And my questions were always like pointing towards, can you tell me what your gut says? Yeah. And they would not. They told me they could not tell me what their instinct told them. Mm -hmm. And I uh, was incapable of saying the right combinations of words or just at the wrong vet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that so when they say they don't, I think they're capable, but they they could not by nature of their job. Go there. Well, this is where my head can come in a little bit and be like, yeah, I have in my heart. Um the system of healthcare that we have for people and animals is obviously like this patient factory model is, I think, challenging for everyone involved, including them. 
just seeing a nonstop barrage of frightened. Sometimes people are over panicked. Sometimes people, and and you were not obviously. Um, and it's, it, uh, has serious flaws, not enough bandwidth and is like, I think everyone would agree it's poorly done in America. The model, the, the basic structure of it is not well done. So that, that is a, um, initial piece of it. Uh, another piece that happened for me, which was personally very impacting was, uh, I talked to you a little bit about this, um, and it deepened for me today. I had, <laughs> I had done a journey with you guys. We talked about our boys' trip and the patriarchy and all that like a month ago. And um, this is very unique. I don't normally do them this close, but the person I sat was like, I think it would be good for us to do another one with you and your girlfriend um, two days prior to like this really getting bad. Um, and so we had had that scheduled. We did it. And into this process, I had just come out of an MDMA experience. And one, it was weird that we had that thing so close, which normally doesn't happen for me. Two, it was weird that this, the person who I've done it with suggested it. She is, it has always been me reaching out to her to do it. And I am so grateful that that was how it went because, um, dude, it gave me a depth of being grounded in what would have been an experience that I would have lost. I would have lost it and gone into panic or rage or something why uh because i would have been trying to help you and not knowing how like what i what i learned about myself in the um mdma experience and then after is that when i stay with myself and this happened with lady i felt feeling that I'm very ashamed of, but I'm learning that is actually like, I felt so happy to be with her the whole time mm -hmm. when she was dying and laying on me. I could not have been happier. Mm. Like I felt so much love and I felt so connected to her and so happy to be in that room with you. And that feeling of being so disconnected from what other people are experiencing her suffering in the way that she was, you suffering apparently in the way that you were, has been a consistent experience throughout my life, one that I have repressed hardcore that really only came out in my journey, um, that, I'm, that I have been deeply ashamed of because it makes me feel like, what the fuck is wrong with me? That I'm in this, that I'm having an experience of such connection and love when other people are not. Um, and I didn't tell you this because it's the moment that we were there when she died was an incredibly strange experience for me because where I've learned to connect with people is like I look around the room, I see what I imagine they're seeing, I see this horrible scene of a tube in her throat and these people marching around and the beeping of the machine and it was brutal and that is where I imagine I can connect with people because, like, this is our shared reality. And so I try to go to the shared reality. But when I take a deep breath and I went to my experience, eyes closed of what was happening for my energy, I felt, um, felt like I got a guardian in that moment. And it was one of the happier, more joyous moments for me which brings up 
I realize a tremendous amount of shame because I'm feeling so lucky and so connected. And um, so fucked up for for experiencing this this horrible thing in a apparently self-interested way. Um, and what I learned throughout this experience is that my whole life, I f- you can share what your experience of me has been, I've been under the mistaken belief that the way to help people through suffering is to suffer alongside them, is to see it the way that they see it, hear the problems as they present them to you and solve their problems. So you're saying, I can't, this is terrible. I can't deal with it. This is not what you said, but like these doctors suck. And then I would go freak out about, you know, these doctors need to get out of here or like, or like listen to the way that you were experienced things, take that on and then try to change the world to like steamroll that problem away from your experience. And I thought that that was the highest way of me contributing to a situation mm-hmm. was to like, you tell me your problem and I'll go out there and rip it apart. Like I will f- you just say what's wrong and I'll make your problem my problem now. And I have learned slash am learning genuinely that the best thing I can do is be honest with my personal experience and my personal experience repeatedly was of deep joy in being with you and in being with her and in sharing a precious experience that I loved with you and with her and um and this is it's scary to me especially publicly to say this but like I have felt her presence much more powerfully since she got sick and even more when she died than I did when she was alive. And of course that brings up shame in me. It's like, man, I didn't, I didn't appreciate her then I didn't this, but the truth is I feel, um, a greater degree of protection, love, groundedness, and, um, like she is awakening me to a better me is is what I feel. And I feel so grateful and lucky. And um, from that place, it is hard for me to even miss who I do love, that the little white dog, which we all connected with. That's not how I like even remember or experience her at this point. It is more than that. And uh, there was a moment where they asked, do you want a paw print at the end? I was like, you know, it's a nice thing. It's an upsell that they give you when your dog dies. Is Would you like her paw print? And I wanted to let you say it, but I was hoping that the answer was no for me because the answer for me is like, that is not her. Like, I don't want to pretend she's this big of a paw print because mm-hmm. that is or that she's missing in that way because I don't experience her. And honestly, I know that you have, and I'm not trying to tell you you should experience the way I do. She's been with me so much more, like, is how I feel. Um, And so with shame, but also with I'm trying to let it go, it has been a beautiful experience for me. I love her 
I have loved the entire experience. Um, and I feel her with me, and I don't feel like that betrays her at all. I feel like that honors her deeply. And um, I have a new way of conceiving of my life, which is that I used to say, like, I was in low empathy. I could crack jokes at a funeral and just be, like, unaffected by it and knew not to, but, like, could, you know. Um, and I think the actual, what I have learned about myself is that I've actually had incredibly weak boundaries and have been, um, had no choice but to empathize in my close relationships with others, which means when they enter into an experience, I feel, I literally feel their feelings inside of me is how I feel, or at least my understanding of their feelings inside of me. And it has made me deeply uh, impatient of people's struggle because it's like instantaneously that struggle is mine. Um, and it has also made me a really good hiding place for people that do, not people, any unprocessed emotion, and we all have some of them. So like I have attracted into my life repeatedly from the jump um people who when i you know i'll say like hey this isn't working and say i think it's not working because of you is often the thing and so that then causes me this deep belief that that is the case this inner search and they are able to avoid their contribution to whatever is not working so this is what came up with my girlfriend was a. Uh, it's a tremendous relief and a total unexpected thing. In this MDMA experience, I had I had thought that what was going on, and you've probably heard me talk about it on the podcast, is like, you know, I've, I've been in a relationship, but I've not been totally sure or committed. And I, in fact, haven't talked about it too much because I didn't, because I was like, I don't know what's going to go on with this thing. Um, and I had believed, and we had talked, and she had believed, and I had believed, and this was a comfortable story for both of us, was that, Something on me was dragging my feet with commitment. I, I wanted it, but I was working on my intimacy issues. And so, like, we could do it. And what we, <laughs> the truth is, I have been in, not from the jump of it, but for the last year or two, I've been clear, personally. I've been in, I've wanted it, I've been open to a deeper level of commitment and connection. But what happened was, because I had spent those first two or three years not that, and then I switched over, well, now it was her turn to be open and intimate. And it was like, oh, I she chose me at the beginning, I realize now, because I would not give that initial connection. And that was a safe way for her to be in relationship but not have to worry about the depth of it. Um, and though she stated that she wanted all of these things, I was actually a perfect partner with her because I never created the opportunity for it at a deeper and deeper level. And so when I through these experiences actually got to the point where I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm ready. That created in her, now it was on her. And now the holdup was her, except we never acknowledged it. And so what, you know, I needed to do a little more or this or that, or she really wanted to, or like what I would feel is like, I don't know that I want to see her. And what I was real, and what I've realized is that this feeling of not wanting to see her is because she would show up physically, but not, not as herself. You know, like she would show up partially. And like, I didn't want that experience. But what I do deeply want 
was to um, be with her. And what we got to, which was beautiful in the experience and an incredible relief, was there was a moment where it's like, you know, you, you got, we haven't really interacted and like touched and hugged and, exchange, you know. And so like I was like, thank you. I slid forward, sat down, was so grounded and was like available, deeply available. And from that place in the experience, I saw her um, physically shrink and also like emotionally pull back. And to her credit, this is what started to get worked out. She said, I feel like you see right through me from this place. I feel un- I don't feel safe. And um, I'm intimidated by this. You. And what we were able to sort of get to and work through is my availability is intimidating because it puts it on her. And it was beautiful because it's been unlocking in my life in a lot of ways in that um, what had stopped me from wanting to see that in the relationship was I like the illusion of being in control. And to be the one who is dragging their feet gives me the illusion of I'm in control. And what is a less comfortable position is I'm ready. <laughs> I'm not, but I'm not in control. Like, I want this. I'm in. And you're not. And that is an experience of rejection and uh, triggers not being enough or like, why haven't I done enough to make you feel safe and comfortable around me? And then I go, I must have done something wrong. It must have been that thing that I said earlier. And then she'll happily join that. Yes, it was what you said earlier. And so now I need like... And so I've, I've recreated that experience over and over and over and over and over again in my life where I go, the reason that this situation isn't working, this person isn't opening up, this employee isn't trying their best is because I haven't created the conditions for them to do so. And I now, I'll talk about it on the Patreon, how it's affected business, but like in so many areas, see how I have been in a way of maintaining faux control saying, oh, that one's on me, that one's on me, that one's on me, that one's on me, and um, have actually gotten in the way of realizing I've done my work and then some. And it doesn't mean that I'm done, but actually I need to take a vacation and say, I'm available, I am here. I'm ready for the people in my life that want to hit me at that place to come and I am not going to drag anyone to that middle that I have arrived at from this point um and so it's been great it's been um I feel really um I feel regularly just laughter and giddiness overtakes me when I sink into me uh how do you know the difference between when it's uh what you just said was um, like you created this faux reality. How do you know when you're not deluding yourself even in that? Because mm-hmm. it seems like a confusing, ne- like to yeah. come to that realization. Feels like you were living in a reality that felt true for it a long time. It felt real. It felt real. And then this new one, how do you know that one is the real yeah. one? Yeah. How do I know? It Well, the way that I know is a different mechanism is what I would say. Okay. I know... I mean, I, this is why psychedelics can be nice. It was a felt experience of like, oh, I'm the ground. And I felt what I feel in time. I'm not saying this is going to work for anybody else, but this is what has really been a good compass for me is like, 
when I'm sank into my seat or the earth or whatever I am on and I feel my energy sink from up here down into my belly um, and I increasingly find love, gratitude and I found my own pain as well like my own frustration, my own pain, my own peace and the peace that hadn't unlocked for me was shame and what's interesting is like tell me if i'm getting too esoteric in any of this as long as you come back to the original question which is this reality is the real one rather than the one you created well i think it'll develop and see but what i have what i have noticed and the reason like (sighs) i feel actually um a deeper certainty than i did before is one way and there's also, con- it's, it's connected to a depth of emotion that feels undeniable. One of the ways that I've always been able to find truth is like, does that raise the skin or the, your hairs? Does it sh- make you shake on the inside? Does it bring a tear? Is it, for me, it's been like, is it hard to say? Often is like a very strong sign that I'm sinking into a deeper truth. And where I'm like, you know, like, I'm not sure. Like when I'm, when I'm doing that, that's a sign that I'm just fucking, <laughs> I'm in, I'm making shit up from that place. Mm. Um, and I'm guessing and I might guess right, but it's, yeah, when I feel it resonate and it is a felt sense of truth rather than a logical, that puzzle piece matches, you know, like technically I could see how that would work and I could draw the connection there. So that's, it's, that is the different mechanism that I feel. Mm. Um, and it might get deeper, and I'm sure that I will learn, oh, there, there was misinterpretations that I had. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That tool was unnamed as you were describing okay. it. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, there's a felt sense of emotional truth that comes along with a lot of this stuff. And there's the other feeling is the emo- there was also the emotional truth. This is where it's complex, and I'm getting into weird. My own inner experience, I hope it's useful to other people, is that when I would feel what I now am understanding are other people's unprocessed emotions. I'll give you an example that I'll, one of the things I've mentioned in the past is that in this relationship with my girlfriend, there's been like a mentor mentee thing where it's like, she comes to me, I give the answer back to her. And that's actually not a good mentor. That's like (laughs) what I realized is it's not mentor mentee. It's like father, daughter. Like, I can't do it, you can do it, you send it back to me. Like, like very young. Yeah, it's a teacher, you have a test, and you're like, I don't get A or B, yeah. is it A or B? She's like, and you're like, A or B? Yeah. I'm between these two, and she's like, you're doing really good with A, I would continue with that, you're like, thanks. And you ask for another. <laughs> yes, and uh, I felt this happen in an interaction. We've both been better at catching it, which is a tremendous relief. It makes me relax around her. One of the things is like, I wondered why I was so much more comfortable being vulnerable with other people. I assumed it was a vulnerability issue in me. And what I realized without blame is like, she was a less safe person to be vulnerable around because in my moments of vulnerability were the greatest opportunities for her to not acknowledge herself. Be like, oh, this is why. You know what I mean? Like, this is why. Um, and when I can trust her not to do that, it's like, I want to fucking be vulnerable. I'm dying to be vulnerable with you as you become a safer person to do that with. Mm. Um, so one of the concrete things that will make people maybe understand is we were having a conversation. One of the 
there is a person in her life that has repeatedly been coming up as a deep, deep problem and challenge. And our pattern is she calls me and goes, oh, this happened. Oh, this happened. Oh, this happened. And I feel inside of me this, the lesson. And I start piecing the puzzle pieces and go, the unprocessed work is this person is causing you serious distress and needs to be removed from your life in this way. And so then I feel that come up in me and I say, you got to get out of this situation. You can't, like, this is not, do you see? And I explain and put the pieces together and I hand her back her completed puzzle. And then she goes, yeah, I don't know. I just don't feel it that way. You know, that's not it. And then, I, and then she stacks it on again and again and again. And this processing is coming up through me. And so on call yesterday, I felt that happen. I felt myself, my consciousness, like where I was, I, f- I stopped feeling the ground. I started, I felt like I was coming, lift, being lifted off the ground a little bit, not feeling the seat beneath me, starting to feel my tension rise. And in that moment, I was able to be like, if you're not mine, go away. <laughs> you're not welcome here. Um, and sink back into me. And where I came was, I was like, oh, my role is just to love and support you. I'm having a great day. I have no problems with this person. I am having a wonderful experience <laughs> right now. And so she like stacked it, stacked it, stacked it, stacked it. I went, yeah, um, I love you. I'm having a great day. And uh, I feel that, you know, I will let you know that there is a piece that I'm feeling is trying to be expressed with me and you don't have to take it if you don't want it, is that, um, well, I won't. And then I said, I'm not going to say it. and and later that freaking day henry same day that night it hit inside of her when she couldn't get it out through me the depth of this being messed up was began to deeply dawn on her and the interaction it wasn't like I wasn't interacting with her I was, there were times where from me it's like there's words that I wanted to say as me from me as love guidance whatever but it wasn't a doing it for her and as a result funnily enough it was way more challenging for her but I think we'll have a way more lasting change it was funny enough fucking easy for me <laughs> to be myself and maintain that the only challenge is in not allowing myself to do that old pattern of like unconscious immediate empathizing and doing it and it was uh it was awesome so uh, one one thing is that there can, that can be done with love and mm-hmm. it can also be done as an anxiety to try to get them to just stop being in pain so that you don't have to be with them so is yeah next is there a question or are there are there's it's a comment i know you really well i know me really well i'm speaking yeah. slightly about me slightly about you um, and just heard in the last through words of like, I empathized with this person. And I was like, that's not totally true because I know it's not true in myself, hmm. which is like, I want this person to be okay. And I think physically, like when people come visit, I want them to be very comfortable so that mm-hmm. I can then relax yeah, yeah. around them. Because when I see them cold or hungry or, um, and I'm going to talk about the safe ways in which I can see them, but like the physical ways, uh, then I can't relax around them because they're staying in my home. Mm-hmm. And so I either have to remove myself or not tune into what they're into. But if I do for a second, I'm like, oh, that person's uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable now. Mm-hmm. 
um, I immediately go to them. So yeah, I heard that. And it's like, but I've also learned that I can do that same action, offer that same meal. Way, yeah. yeah. In a different way with no, it was a, like as a gift, like with no expectation that it has to be received because when I do it, um, as what I was mentioning before, which is like, you need to be okay is you have to receive this yeah, because I need it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm asking, I'm telling you to you that this is for you, but it's really for me so I can relax. Um, yeah. so if you want to expand on that or just absolutely I do. Thank you. Um, I know this can feel a little, yeah. Cause, uh, the specifics of all of these situations I don't want to reveal for tons of reasons for the privacy of people yeah. involved. Um, one of the big tells that I have found in myself that I think would be very useful for anyone is anytime you say, I feel an emotion for you, I'm sorry for you, I'm glad for you, I'm this. I'm not saying that that is impossible. I'm saying that is a very common hiding spot of something else. So I'll give you an example. Um, through this process, someone said to me, I feel so sorry for Henry. And I checked them and I said, pause, are you sorry for him? And they reflect, they're like, I'm afraid that I will not be able to be around him. I'm afraid that I will be required to do more work. I am afraid and that I will not be able to help him and will feel shame in this situation. And so we go, oh, I feel so bad for you. And it's a way of disowning our own experience of like, fuck, I am anxious that I'm not enough for this situation to support you. I'm anxious that I can't and I feel ashamed. And also I'm ashamed of the fact that I don't want to fucking deal with this, you know, like, and so what I say is I'm so sorry for you. And it's a way of taking all of those feelings and what is felt by the other person is a tremendous pressure to get better and confusion and confusion. Cause it's like, you're saying this night's thing to me, but what you are putting in and on to me is get better for me right fucking now. (laughs) And I have been able to see, feel in interaction so many ways that myself, other people disown their own feelings because they're too challenging and then wrap them up in a socially acceptable package of, I'm sorry for you, I'm glad for you. Uh, the, The four you's are... Like, I'm not, I don't even know that one can have an emotion for someone else. Even just the, like, if you think about what it means, like, to do something for, like, how can you be sorry for someone else? Like, only you can be sorry for, for you. I can be sorry for me. <laughs> um, and I don't want to say 100% of the time those words are said, they're, they're not true. But to me, it has been well over 50% of the times that I've heard, wanted to say those words. That is a strong indicator that I am not... Or someone else is not owning their shit, um, which is a really nice tell to uh, to have. Um, so yeah, there's a lot more that I could go into and say. I've been a bit all over the place. Is there anything that you wanted to call me back to before? Uh, just the one thing is I wanted to add in if it gets into the podcast is that I have a lot of lessons lady taught me mm. and a lot of joy mm. and feel stuck upon sharing that because it feels wrong at the moment but yeah. know that it's there and hopefully i can um express it eventually yeah i i know mine which don't have to be yours if you I, 
And if you feel called, you help me see this one. You really pointed to this one, mm-hmm. which I suspect means it's for you as well. She, I'll tell you how I experienced her. She was a seven to nine pound dog at any point who um, was often very fearful. Like would, we called it ribbiting at noises. Um, and for me, she was a tr- tremendous demonstration of being just pure love through fear. Like she could be, everyone was a hundred times bigger than her. And um, she was clearly feeling afraid and and loving. And it was incredible to like watch her be. Um, and also she, she could ask for help was such a beautiful thing. Like when she would get afraid, she would come up and, and just would ask for help. You know, she would be with you, um, which was really beautiful. She, uh, I also know that um, it was very easy to, um, when you wanted more love in a room or more affection to just send her to deliver it, you know, go sit, you, you said it, go say hi. And she would just go like, just absolutely shower people in love and it, um, could be a crutch to just, instead of you or I getting up. That's the biggest lesson. Yeah. To go deliver the love. It was easy to say, you go do it. Cause she was so beautiful and so good at it. Mm-hmm. And I feel her now pushing me, man, constantly, constantly to, um, to do that and to be that. And, Again, I feel ashamed to say this, but I, for me, it feels like she left early because it's got to come through me now. I agree. Yeah. Um, and I, and that's the, uh, another thing is like she didn't, le- she left right on time. That's how I feel like. Uh, and it makes me feel selfish and ashamed to make her death about m- the impact on me. But it is what I feel, man. I feel and it's and this is another thing is like when I say no that's not what happened I'm denying what I feel is her gift to me no that's not true that's not it she was she died for no reason and it wasn't right it was like she's fucking trying to give me this gift of no I was here for you like I did this for you and um and again I'm sure for herself the emotion of being for but like I haven't sifted through entirely but i don't i've in an when you visit arizona time is measured in moments not minutes like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate but nothing beats the moment you see the grand canyon for the very first time Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Attempt to be kind, I wind up rejecting her gift, which is I deeply feel what she, not what she would want and not what I want. I want to receive it. I want to, um, yeah, I want to receive it, and I have received it very deeply. So it's been, it's been a beautiful experience. Um, there were moments of deep challenge, but there were, for me, far more of love and beauty and happiness. And it has catalyzed 
such an incredible series of conversations between me and people in my life that um, any literally anyone around me at this point has been, I have grown deeper and more connected to, which is just like, Jesus, what a fucking gift, man. So it's been, um, it's been a lot. I know this is a different podcast at this point. Um, and I, is there anything you want to say before I move on to less related topics? Not at this moment. Okay. One of the really cool things that happened after, and I'm going to start getting now into <laughs> the world, um, that happened after my MDMA experience was that, so I had made this Logan Paul video and was, you know, uh, I'm always conflicted when I make a video that has a bad guy. I really didn't want there to be a bad guy. And I don't know how I feel about using someone as an example. And I tried to caveat that he's not diagnosing him with narcissistic personality disorder, whatever. Um, and I came down after my MDMA and I watched his last apology response video where he says he's going to give back money. For those of you who haven't followed three step the plan. three-step plan, I'll give you a brief Logan Paul did the CryptoZoo thing. You can watch our last podcast. It was a crypto project that did not work out where he hired several con men who um, rugged the project and wound up costing the people who believed him the most millions of dollars. Um, those people probably had their own selfish desires to buy a cryptocurrency when it was sky high, but it was certainly off the back of his emphatic and overblown recommendation of the product. So a year later, the product is still in a no position at all. CoffeeZilla makes these videos. He comes out. I make a video about his crappy response, and then he posts what is apparently a better response. Mm. And I felt so clearly when I came down from that. I was like, what is interesting is I have my whole life and I see how Charisma on Command got made. In order to say I'm not going to hang out with that person, I have needed 10-step checklists, 10 reasons to know that someone is a narcissist, 10 things. And if they don't hit all 10, I feel fucking guilty in saying I don't want to be around you. And what I felt so fucking clearly when I watched that video is, oh, this guy's not safe to be around. Mm. Period. I don't need to add it up. I can, I can analyze it. I can break it down. I can point to the moment of absolute unaccountability and I can point to it. And I'm sure there's other ones, but it was just like, I don't need to. I fucking know. <laughs> and it was nice. And similarly, can you point to maybe one? So can I point who, to the moment? Yeah. Well, because you're saying you've, you've been tapped in your body really well right now. And so for other people who watch that might have got an itchy feeling but didn't know the moment, maybe you could say the word or the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. The moments where he insists that he didn't have bad intentions, where he says, I, you know, I'm a fighter, where it's like it's everything needs to come back to an egoic sense of him seeing himself. And when he said, we're going to do a full internal investigation, I thought that line was so ironic because the last thing Logan is going to do is an internal investigation. Oh, God. It was like, we're going to find the responsible party. And it's, this is, it was a full external investigation. That's all he's going to do. There is no internal investigation at all, and there cannot be. It was so obvious, you know, and I hope he gets better. I hope, and there was also, it's like, I had also wanted when I encountered that energy to like, 
to speak it in a way such that he could see it. And I originally wanted to make the video such that he could watch it, not get triggered, and maybe reflect. And I realized the odds of that happening are fucking zero. Um, so I, I feel in myself wanting to spend less effort. And just I do hope that he does the, the internal investigation of how this happened. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's wildly influential and could be such a bigger positive force on the world. But this like pipe dream that I'm going to help him get there, I'm letting go of. Yeah. Um, and it was a similar, so that was that. Um, and uh, also, I had a, there was a thing with Andrew Tate that came up. So Andrew Tate is now in jail. We haven't really talked about it too much. Um, and I have been so confused about Andrew Tate. Because I see two things that are happening simultaneously. One, Andrew Tate, I have seen clips, not out of context, where he has demonstrated that he is a liar and a dangerous person to be around. I can tell you the concrete examples. There is a not out of context clip where he talks at length about how you have to lie to your female webcam employees about the revenue split or about the profit split. You're going to tell them that it's a 50-50 split, but really it's a 70-30 split because you're not paying taxes because you're being paid in crypto, which you take as a reason not to pay taxes. And like he is a brazen liar. He, he has stood up and said, I will type out to these guys on the webcams pretending to be these girls. That was my job. That's what you have to do. He talks continuously about how the girls do not need you and your job is to create a circumstance where they think they do mm. because they don't need you because they could do this all themselves. And your job is to create, this is not his words, but mine, a fucking evil bubble of dependency such that they cannot get away from you and you can exploit them for as much money as possible. And he talks openly about this. There are other examples that I'm sure other people that maybe I haven't seen or whatever. Another one that I came down shortly after you had like turned it on was he says in the Vice documentary, I believe not taken out of context, but this is another, I'll get to the part two, where he says, I don't hang out with losers. I want to talk to people about how to make money off the Ukraine war. And it's just like, dude, if that's out of context, let me know and I can recant this. But that's fucking sick. You are ill if that's what you like to do, is to find a global tragedy and ask yourself, how can I enrich myself? You're fucking sick. Now, and so where I land is, oh, this guy has told the world who he is. He's declared that he's unsafe, a liar, and dangerous. And my piece is just, I want nothing to do with you. Yep. I want nothing to do with you. What is frustrating and has confused me is that the news articles about him are so patently disinterested in representing him honestly. Yeah, I was going to say this. They are, the Vice documentary with that scene is so horribly skewed and so agenda-driven to convince me, the viewer, that he's a bad guy that I begin to doubt 
my own prior experiences and wonder if the wool isn't being pulled over my eyes and I need to give this guy another chance. Yes. And what happened concretely, which is like he's recently had these voice notes to this girl come out that are on the surface damning, where he says, and I'm relating this, I love R-ing you, where R is a word where he forces himself on her. This is, you know, you know, stop complaining. I only choked you a little bit. And then they show text messages, like where they have the WhatsApp screen, and then they zoom in on, like, I loved that you didn't like it. What they don't show, if you pause the screen in gray, is that she's like, well, if I consented, then that means it wasn't this. And where they are, like, having a dialogue that I am not saying is but could be interpreted as dirty talk. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying Vice was disinterested in offering me the context around that. I do not know what happened between him and her, but I know that Vice is not interested in me having all of the information and making an informed decision about him. Yeah, so then I distrust Vice's... Yes, and I distrust Vice. And I know most viewers maybe don't feel this way. I understand that someone can have been assaulted and continue to engage in an interaction with someone yeah. where they try to convince themselves primarily yes. that it was not an assault so that they do not have to confront the harrowing experience of ha- that having been true yes. for them. And yeah. I... I find can, that to be true. I can handle the context. Yes, I can. I that. will not write her off because of that. But when you rip the context away from me, I now personally, I like. Well, I don't know what to think. But where I stand in is, I feel like I've seen enough outside advice of his own video, which is his own course that I've watched part of. Which is like, okay, that's enough for me to feel like I. Uh, I'm not the judge, the jury. I don't know what happened in this case or that case. But for me, I don't want to fucking be near that guy. Yeah. I don't want to be near him. I don't want to let his influence into my life. And this was another piece that I found. This thing that he does is a wonderful grounding energy that I feel. (laughs) Like, while, like, and you can try to do this because it feels nice. But, like, I have felt at points where I'm, like, trying to come back to myself that this is a very, like, Andrew Tate constantly is walking around like this. I feel grounded when I do this. Mm. And so there's the confusion of Andrew Tate, of, like, well, did he do this? Didn't he do that? Like, is, well, here's what I know. I like this. (laughs) I don't like his view of losers and where money ought to be made and his seeming... is odd, what is to me is an obvious obsession with, with women image and, and women yeah, and women as he tells everyone he's not yes and um and I hope that it's not true what he did for the sake of the people involved and I don't trust a damn thing that the news articles say about him by and large yeah. and also it's okay because I'm not his judge jury and executioner mm. and I hope that the people involved in his case can drop their own agendas and fucking look for the truth. Uh, and I, that's, that is my hope for the whole thing. Um, so, 
Yeah. Anything else? Um, I'm looking at, I have some notes here. Of also feeling distrustful advice is MO and uh, the just, I don't need to re- reiterate what you just said, but mm-hmm. um, just for a few examples that, you know, calling his organization a cult mm-hmm. um, immediately frames this organization of like why men, people don't want to join cults. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it frames his organization or his group as something that can be nefarious, but nefarious on the outside from the beginning when like actually you can be more susceptible to just these dudes want a community. Mm. Um, oh, I, yeah. I, I maybe you. I'm not saying it correctly, but like, again, this I MO what, you have I hear to, what you're pointing towards. Yes. Yeah. And then on top of that, you can help me get through this um, is like, now there's no re- road to redemption if I knowingly joined his cult. Mm. But if I joined his community and brotherhood or his place where a bunch of other like-minded individuals got entrepreneurship uh, advice, then I can be, you mentioned this in other podcasts, like accepted back into a society because there's like a road for re- redemption. But if I, if you also think I'm an, I'm, I'm a cultist, yeah, um, I am stained and dirty yeah. for listening to my warlord. You yeah. know what I mean? The one of the most messed up things that the media says about Andrew Tate, which they say regularly, is that he got famous for misogynistic content. And it's like, no, men are deeply confused about how to relate to women. Yeah. So much of what they are told is backwards. Andrew Tate has a lot of like incomplete, messed up shit with women. But what young men have found is that when they emulate the surface-level Andrew Tate stuff, they get more of the results that they want with women. Women are more attracted to them. They're more drawn from them. Some of his advice, I'm sure I would agree with in its entirety. Other pieces of his advice, I go, that works, but that works because women, you know, it works on the women that are uh, traumatized themselves, you know? like, and uh, But the lie that he has gotten famous for misogynistic content denies the larger contextual societal thing of there are super, there are issues with how men and women are being raised and then how they come together to relate to one another. Yep. Um, One of the things that I see in Andrew Tate and I saw on this, so I'm, I'm in the left field now, but, uh, Destiny, who is an online commentator, went on to the Fresh and Fit podcast, which is like a red pill podcast. And one of the guys that hosts the podcast said that, you know, all of these girls are going on yachts and traveling to Europe, et cetera. And Destiny said, what percentage of girls do you think are doing that that are in their young? And he said, 40% mm. of girls, which is like. That's a lot of boats. It's <laughs> a fuck ton of boats. <laughs> Insane. But what I realized... Oh, that, and then you look at his world. His world, (laughs) 40%. And here's, he's telling on himself. No, he thinks it's more. He went down. He went down. Every girl that he associates with has been on a yacht. And so, like, what I realized with Andrew Tate, his belief around women cannot be trusted, they are this, they are that. Any woman who is, well, I don't want to say any, we all form 
selection biases of the people you who can't get will, close to Andrew Tate. You can't get close to Andrew Tate unless you meet the criteria. Of he exactly hangs out with that, a lot of cam girls. Yes. Now, that's not to say that you are a bad person if you are a cam girl. It is to say that often the life path of someone who winds up doing that is one of a lack of support in their life from a loving, trusted family unit. Yeah. And that if that is the pre-screen that you have on your life, which is, you know, I'm only going to hang out with, with the types that are on the yachts. I'm only going to hang out with the types that are in the VIP corner of the club. I'm only going to hang out with this type. This isn't to condemn anyone who was in the VIP or a Cambrel or whatever, but to say if you only have that, your perception of the entire other sex is going to be colored by your own selection bias, by the survivorship bias of who would even tolerate you. Because the women who won't tolerate a moment of Andrew Tate, which fucking, which he doesn't think exists, but absolutely do. Yeah. He just writes them off as being messed up or not counting. They cannot enter into his world. They, they like, wouldn't. He, he, they wouldn't. He would, they would never allow it. Mm-hmm. And so his idea. We'll never talk to one on a podcast. All, never. Yes. <laughs> all women are like this. Like, no, just the ones that would tolerate you for more than 30 seconds, yeah. man. Um. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy as you alienate other people. And what I feel like is unfortunately true of both men and women is we have these generations of people that are traumatized and they gravitate towards abusive relationships with people where Andrew Tate's whole thing, not whole thing, part of it is I am dangerous. I am so powerful. It is this big blustery bravado. I've never heard like... I'm probably the smartest man in the world. He, he says this. <laughs> yeah. And that if that is the type of person that hears that and what they primarily feel is insecurity and a desire to emulate that, which by the way, I would have held myself in that category of person when I was the age of people that are often liking Andrew Tate. The type of person who hears that is pre and is moved by it is pre-screened to be someone who, that lacks a strong internal thing. And so you have these people who lack that internal compass, finding one strong man that they can all emulate. And the people that can see through him are just not in that field. And they're not on the internet trying to be the most famous person in the world. They're living their lives happy, comfortably with their loved ones, making an impact, but they, they are not so desirous of attention and clout and power that they have the loudest megaphone like he does. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've seen how this selection bias has formed my understanding of what is possible in a relationship, particularly a romantic one, what is reasonable to expect from your partner. And I could say pretty confidently that I don't know what is possible in a relationship, but I know that my commitment issues have stemmed from a belief that I had seen everything when it came to relationships and a now realization that, oh, I've seen everything within my own survivorship bias. I've seen everything that is possible when I am primarily attracted people that do not hold their own stuff. Yeah. And therefore... I don't want to be in a relationship. I love them, but I don't want to do it forever because I can't do their work forever. And it's like, I don't, I, I don't actually know what would be possible if I was with, and you know, with, with my current girlfriend, if we work t- 
together, not together. She works on her shit and I stay with her and we stay with one another. Um, I don't know what would be possible yeah. in a relationship and I am fucking excited to find out. Yeah. Um, and I'll let you know on the other side what I, what I see. So uh, it's been a hell of a week. <laughs> a lot in the week, yeah. Hell of a week. Um, let me see if there's anything. Um, I have a few things I can just name. There's sure. I have to read this all to get my thoughts collected, but it was uh, the Dana White, oh, White stuff, goodness. and there's like a few layers of the Dana White thing, yeah. but basically on New Year's Eve, Dana White um, was videotaped in the VIP section getting an argument with his wife his wife slapping him and him returning two slaps. Uh, it then blew up on social media and um, he had to have a press conference. And I'd eventually like to sit you down and get like Charisma Expert reacts to <laughs> apologies of 2022. Because <laughs> it seems like we've gone on a lot with like Will yeah. Smith, yeah, yeah, Dana yeah. White. I mean, I got a running list. Andrew Amber Callahan Andrew actually Callahan. did Andrew Callahan. had an interesting one. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, who did well, who seemed authentic. Logan yeah. Paul has three. Yeah. Um, and just for context, uh, in the press conference, he talked about what his punishment might be uh, being the head of the organization. And what he came to with the rest of the execs is like, what hurts me the most? What's going to hurt me is like, you want me to take 30 days off? That doesn't hurt me. That's a vacation. So I'm going to continue my job because what hurts me the most is to have this as my label for the rest of my life. <laughs> And it's like, <laughs> I know um, what would hurt you the most. Yeah, go ahead. You're done. Yeah. Dana. You're done. We have a zero tolerance policy for this kind of shit. And you're done. And you, we're going to start with you and we're going to enforce it throughout the roster of our fighters. Like we have and through you, our yeah, employees. Yeah. And if you get into physical combat, the outside of a thing, you're done. You know, which is, by the way, not the case with the yeah. fighters. But his hiding in, that would be a vacation. It's like, bro, you're a goober. Just admit that you have, you are both the judge and the defendant mm -hmm. and you're not going to punish yourself. Yes. So shut up. <laughs> you're not going to punish yourself. Fine. I don't, the other thing is like, that is like she fucking clocked you first, man. And uh, not saying that it was the right thing to do Yeah. or that the retaliation was this, but. Andrew Hawani uh, had a reaction to it. He's like, this is like a drunk driver yeah. killing somebody and then feeling really bad about it and be like, listen, there should be no consequences. I'm going to feel bad about this for yeah, the rest yeah, of my yeah. life. I know that's an extreme and there was like more, she slapped him first and stuff, but yeah. it's, it's the same thing as like the judge jury and like, the where's the authority to like, uh, someone needs to tell you what your punishment is but for when you do something wrong. implicit is that anyone wants to punish Dana. It's like, what, like, like the... Here's what we need to find. What would hurt Dana and then do that? It's like, yeah, Dana, no. that's your relationship with your wife. If she hurts you, you hurt her back. That's the punishment. And by yeah. the way, lived in Vegas, heard the rumors, seen some of the rumors regarding him. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's, I don't know what goes on in that relationship, but I know that it, uh, there is probably some turmoil despite what he had said. Yep. Um, and the, uh, and to be fair, it is based primarily on rumor and one instance where I looked and saw, I was like, that does not look like a married, happily married person. But I didn't see any of the smoking gun in that particular yeah. scene. Um, 
I just saw from an emotional standpoint from when I watched the video was like, ah, he doesn't want to take accountability for this and he'll take accountability in the way he says, which is with his family, which I can't see. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. Um, but it's just like, I'm not going to No, The answer yeah. was nah. Um, yes. And the, yeah, the whole thing is messed up, which is like, who cares what punishment you're not going to take accountability. He what? did say, I'm going to take extreme accountability for this, but what people, can my punishment be? People love saying that they're taking accountability. It is incredible. The desire of people to say, buck stops, like the words that people can say without doing the thing is, it's no matter what we morph it to, whether Jocko Willink drops extreme ownership or there becomes another woo-woo word or whatever, what happens is people just co-opt that word, announce it, and then don't do the underlying thing, yeah. <laughs> which is like, but um, yeah, I don't know that like, to be fair, and I will give him credit where credit is due, he did say, and uh, he did not make excuses, or it's like, you sh- yes, I shouldn't have done that, Yes, is, is accountable, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? I did that, I made the decision to drink, that does not excuse it, I should not have done that. I will not do that again. I am sorry that I did do that. And when I watched that, I was like, actually, there is accountability in that. Yep. What was missing is that there's this piece where he thinks that there now needs to be a punishment and that he f- then he got inauthentic about what would a punishment was. Like, I actually, I don't know. I don't want to punish you. I don't know that a punishment is appropriate. Mm-hmm. For, like, wh- why would we want to hurt you at this juncture? Um, so it's, it's strange in that like the accountability that needs to be taken, if I were to step back and be like, did I set a good example for the people in my organization, the people who look up to me, et cetera, have I taken accountability in my relationship with my wife and with my children and my family? And then like at the smallest degree is this media thing where you go and talk to a public that is unaffected by it. But it's like whether or not, yeah, now that I'm sitting with, it's like, his accountability is to his wife, man. Yes. Her accountability is to and him, and nobody fucking knows. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, well, good luck to the guy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I have other few things written down, unless you do, which mm-hmm. was uh, tell me what's going on with Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast. I, I'm not up on the most recent everything, but here's what I've... Okay. Dungeons and Dragons is an... It's a weird thing. It is a... It's an idea. <laughs> it is a system of rules for rolling dice, essentially. And while you can buy those rules in these books that tell you, okay, here's how to roll the dice, when to roll the dice, here's the number to add to the dice, um, a lot of people playing Dungeons and Dragons increasingly, you know, are using some of it. They're like using the idea of some of the spells that that were written in here. Here is how a fireball works. But it's um it's a strange form of intellectual property. Mm. They have had an open gaming license. I, I I don't know the details of, it, but for a long time, which basically said like you can publish your own stuff, you can create your own worlds, and we're not going to bother you about the intellectual property. And that has created a, an ecosystem where companies like Critical Role, where these people play Dungeons and Dragons on YouTube and Twitch, can create probably businesses that are valued at over a hundred million dollars. Um, and get a tremendous amount of money and do really, really well. I think what happened is Hasbro owns Wizards of the Coast and said, there's too much money being made around you and not enough being made by you. Because when 
if they're valued at $100 million critical role, I don't think D&D sees any of that. In fact, they pay them to sponsor and sell their website D&D Beyond, yeah. which, by the way, they had to buy because they couldn't make it themselves because <laughs> they don't know how. Yeah. Um, and so now what you have is a situation where they've gone out and released this, what's going to, the future of D&D is no longer, is it going to be this open gaming license? We're going to take percentages of revenue of, of the businesses in D&D that make more than $750,000. And don't worry, it's all great. And the community had this backlash and this uproar. There was a Reddit post that I thought was really interesting, which is not corroborated, but basically said, I work at Wizards of the Coast. I want to, I'm leaking what is going on. Um, the higher ups here, which again, this might not be true, but it, Sounds sweet. It's It sounds sweet and it matches the behavior very yeah. well. They only want money. They don't care. All that they want to do is they're just hoping that this fan backlash blows over so that they can continue to do this because they are not interested in the community of Dungeons & Dragons. They just Increasing want... Increasing their bottom line. They want money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what is fascinating is that it seems like I actually don't... I hope they don't do it, but if they do, I don't mind. Even as someone who's creating a Dungeons and Dragons show and would potentially be liable to pay them, mm-hmm. I feel comfortable with the free hand of the open market here, which is like, look, I played D and D not because people are clamoring for this specific rule set, but because it was free and open and available and known. But if you guys are going to try to become Apple and pretend that you have this walled garden that people demand to be inside. Mm. I will just switch the game rules of my yeah. next session. I will play a different game. Yes. And I am excited to see what Critical Role does. I don't know that they're, they're as like, um, they're definitely not capitalistic. And yeah. so I don't know that they, they would probably like try to remain Negotiate. friends with Razors of the Coast and say yes. But like, I'm excited to see where the value is being created. Is it, because if it is in their rule set and in the brand identity of Dungeons and Dragons, they I think deserve a piece of the pie when these people are using it. And if that's, that's what the market will bear, fine. My intuition is that's not the case. My intuition is that it's Matt Mercer and his team of voice actors that people have come to love and they could switch the rule set and have no issue Yeah, that people would immediately not give a damn yeah. about the fact that the spells were not Dungeons and Dragons spells. Um, but if we're just at the coast wants to play that game, I actually hope that they do and I hope that they lose as a result of it and that people just migrate to new tabletop things that have actual open gaming licenses in perpetuity and something else comes up uh, as a result, which would be, you know, I'd have to learn a new game or explore a new couple of games. But, like, it feels like the magic at our table is the people. Um, And Yeah, they just seem confused and disconnected from what the product is. And, uh, and how they could monetize it because I do see ways of which they own, which is just like raise my subscription on D&D and beyond and like take that money. But like if you're going to charge me every time to play a game and put it on camera, yes. it's not going to happen. It's like charging Ninja to play Fortnite, which is a free game after you found out he's worth $10 million and your company's only worth $1 million. And You're like, uh, he's not going to play the game if you're going to charge him $100 every time to play the game. It's, it's so odd. I mean, your example of Fortnite, it's like, do you guys not see what is happening? Create the world and have microtransactions. Yes. Like, 
Do you not see what's happening? The biggest video games in the world are free. <laughs> yeah, like if you allowed me to customize my character, I would pay for skins. Yes, like this is built out. I don't know what to tell you. you if you stop, try to charge me money mm -hmm. playing this free game. Yes, which was thirty dollars for a board game back in the day. They have not, and so this might be like inside baseball for people who don't know. But Dungeons and Dragons is primarily an imagination game. There are other companies, including Larian, who's making Baldur's Gate, who are making these like three-dimensional game representations of D&D that are selling tremendously well because people want to take the imagination and they want to spend money to be able to see it. Yeah. And it's like, what is happening is they are bad business people. They made one good base product that is the Fortnite game, the Dungeons & Dragons thing. They made it 25 years it's ago Hasbro, or 30 years ago, right? 40 years ago. You're saying it's because Hasbro took over this other company, which was Creators. They, my understanding, I've asked people that have been in, they, that they have never been really good at business or creating other okay. products. They created a good rule set for a D&D &D game and have made horrible business decisions throughout their, that is, that is uh, hearsay that Got I've it. heard about them. But it's like, dude, if, if, if they were better at business and better at product or even just could use the money that they had or take or, or go f raise some financing to purchase the incredible work that is being done. There's a thing on Kickstarter called Meneer where you can build your own world and sell the software, sell an ongoing subscription, charge people to add more customized characters with skins. The playbook is done. It's easy. It's over. Your cost per average customer could be in the hundreds or $200. If you're like, you can build your own world and, and have end. your own characters and basically have your own video game. Look at you getting angry. This <laughs> is what's maddening. And Critical Role is free advert, not free, but like they're playing Dungeons and Dragons Yeah, roll it you. out on their channel. Guess, like you want to charge them? Guess who got into D&D &D and spent hundreds of dollars on it without ever seeing a D&D &D ad? Me, via Critical Role. They're your free marketing yeah, don't, arm. Don't charge Stop them. trying to charge your own marketing team you morons yep but if you insist i am looking forward to a new company that does not suck as much mm -hmm. taking the mantle taking brand awareness and being what everybody else stands behind so like i actually like i think where i disagree i think with the mainstream or the community opinion on this is that oh they're 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 dumb it's stupid i wouldn't recommend it but it is within their right to like Make the next version of D&D &D not have an open gaming license. They don't owe the community. They are just shooting their own. They have this golden goose, and they are slaughtering it for the meat today. Yeah. It's like you have a golden goose. Ugh. It's painful. <laughs> Imagine playing pickup basketball and playing the NBA every time you went. Yes. Yes. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, okay, I'm not playing NBA basketball. I'm playing yeah. uh, friendly uh, ball ball. Imagine the NBA tried to take every basketball YouTube channel yep. and say, that's mine. That's mine. You can't. It's like what people have realized constantly, by the way, is you let people, Andrew Tate, this is the Andrew Tate insight. Don't charge, don't try to get every dollar of your ad, of your face going on there. Let other people do the marketing for you and fucking pay them or allow YouTube to pay them. That's how Andrew Tate became the biggest person in the world. Not just the message that people, the young men liked, but an incentive structure that incentivized and paid people to do his marketing, which Wizards of the Coast has lucked into. Yep. Has lucked into yep. and is now sabotaging. Yep. <laughs> Crazy. Um, so, yeah. Dumb move. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything else? Uh, we've ran through it all. For me. Beautiful. Um, That's it for me. 
Um, thank you all. Strange podcast. Gonna be a weird one to title. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, on Patreon, I actually have quite a bit more to share about how this stuff has impacted business. And uh, the we switched our Patreon to answering every question, answering the best. And also I share my business insights on the week. And the reaction has been largely, beyond largely, I think overwhelmingly positive. I think it's better than yeah. it used to be. So if you guys want to support the podcast, please consider joining the Patreon. Um, it's our primary source of income. And it is good, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's um, great content. Yeah. So I hope that you guys decide to check that out. Uh, and yeah, that's it for today. Peace, guys. Thank you, guys.